0: Hey, Coach Arlen here. What do Walt Disney, Andrew Carnegie, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, and FDR all have in common? They shared one secret that propelled them to achieve remarkable success. They each belonged to a mastermind group. If you've never experienced the power of a mastermind group, now is your opportunity. Join my business success mastermind group today. New cohorts are starting soon. To learn more, go to ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Angela Heise. Having finished reading the personal development section of the public library in her hometown at the age of 15, Angela Heise promised herself to do whatever it took to lead a conscious life. She started sharing her learnings with other people when she felt that she had sufficiently educated and worked on herself. As a professional trainer and coach for the past 26 years, Angela has been helping her clients develop the practical human skills needed to thrive in life and at work. Specializing in leadership development, emotional and cultural intelligence, Angela is passionate about supporting people and exploring the world. She has lived in 10, worked in 16, and traveled in over 50 countries. Angela, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Harlan.
0: Um, So just, I love the travel. You and I share a love for travel. We talked about Mm -hmm. that the other day. Um, I'm a digital nomad roaming the continental US. You were a digital nomad of the world, right? You've traveled everywhere. Tell me a little bit about how you got started traveling.
1: I actually call myself a global nomad. Okay. Um, I started out when I was seven and I decided that by the time I I died, I wanted to have seen the whole world. Wow. I've always been fascinated with people different cultures and so as soon as I could I left Germany where I grew up and and the first my first trip was at the age of 11 going on an exchange program to England mm-hmm. and that was it I haven't stopped traveling since you were hooked oh yeah that's
0: awesome so 50 different countries and you've lived in the countries and worked in the countries right mm-hmm. so your job allowed you to to work remotely or did you yes. work for different companies?
1: I worked for different companies and I chose them because I could work in different countries. Actually, I took I took a job where I sat on the plane and went, damn, I forgot to ask how much they were how much they're gonna pay me. Oh well, I'll see if I like the job. If I don't, I'll leave.
0: <laughs> That's perfect. All right. Um I wanna come back and talk about how you got your start, how you got to where you are now, who you work with and how you help them. But before we get started, I've got 10 icebreaker questions that I ask every one of my guests. Now, mm-hmm. my listeners know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these same questions of his guests from Hollywood, TV, film and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Angela, <laughs> if you're ready, I have 10 questions for you. Okay. Question number one, what is your favorite word?
1: That would have to be choice. Excellent. What is your least favorite word? Fine. Because that's what people (laughs) use when they say. They don't want to really talk about how they feel. Yes. Fine. Let it go. Fine.
0: Okay. What turns you on?
1: Honest and spirited discussion where people can bounce ideas around without having to agree.
0: Nice. And what turns you off?
1: Knowing when somebody knows they're wrong and still insists on being right. Um, Judgment and superiority. Mm. All the above. Absolutely. All right. What sound
0: or noise do you love? Laughter. And what sound or noise do you hate?
1: Alarm sirens. They really get me.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Effing hell.
1: (laughs) And I actually say it like that. (laughs) Perfect.
0: All right. Um, What profession, what profession other than your own, would you like to attempt?
1: Filmmaker. Nice.
0: What type of film?
1: An inspiring film that transforms human consciousness. That people watch and go, wow, there's more.
0: Nice. That would be awesome. Mm. Uh, What profession would you not like to do?
1: Anything that is routine. Like conveyor belt or you know like it's like i have to do the same thing every day yeah no couldn't do that mass,
0: per- mass production yeah all mm-hmm. right final question if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates
1: well that was a good effort for the 15th time round
0: <laughs> excellent i believe in reincarnation absolutely very cool all right We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back, talk about again, how you got your start, how you got to where you are now, who you work with, how you help them, some of the projects you've been involved in. And at some point we're going to transition into courage and leadership. Okay. Mm -hmm. So listeners, we're going to be talking about all that and probably more right after this. So stick with us. Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my business success mastermind group. Join my business success mastermind group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Angela Heise. Angela, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. Is it true that you challenge yourself to do something new every year just to ensure your comfort zone doesn't get too big?
1: Yep, I do. What have you done?
0: Tell me some of the things you've
1: done. I've done so many crazy things. Some of them I aborted rather quickly and some I stuck out quite for a long time. So I've done um, things like horse riding. I used to be really afraid of horses. Hmm. So I learned how to ride a horse. I was afraid of heights. So I started upsailing down buildings. That was an interesting experience. (laughs) Um, Heights. So I went indoor skydiving. Um, I wanted to become more spontaneous and, you know, again, as a trainer and coach, it's really important that you, that I can think on my feet. So I did um, improvisational theater and, and theater sports. Nice. So getting on stage and having word games, you know, where somebody has to start with A, the next person has to stay with say with B, and then C, and so on. And it scared the living daylights out of me. I was on my way to my third session, and I had unconsciously done a U-turn, and I was on my way back home. Wow. So I went back and wow. did the whole course and had a really, really good time and dropped the perfectionism. It was really, it was really anybody who wants to do this, who's a perfectionist, yeah. theater sports absolutely c- cures you of that. That's great. Um,
0: my wife used to be afraid of of heights. We would go to New York and go up on the Empire State Building. She would not go and look at the sand at the fence and, and look over. She had to keep her back against the wall. And then we went skydiving. She's no longer afraid of heights. Yeah. Her thing was always if the only way to get rid of the monster is to face the monster. Yeah. Is that the way you are?
1: Yeah. Yep. And sometimes I just have to adjust and, and say, well, that's really not my thing. I did a course in quantum mechanics because, <laughs> you know, I thought that would be an interesting thing to do. I was out after the second session because I really don't get mathematics. And it was for non-mathematicians, which I thought was great. no, no. <laughs> Quantum mechanics, and theoretically, yes. Practically, no. (laughs) But you also say you're a very curious person. Where did that curiosity come from? Were you curious as a child? Very much. I was the child that drove people nuts because I would go around and say, why? How come? And I, I was always interested in people. Why are you doing it this way? Why is dad like that? What was mom like as a child? Why did you, you know, what did you do after grandpa died? How did you live life? You know, what drives you? And I started very early. I love that though. You know, the it,
0: parents t- tend to, to squash that in children. Don't ask why so often. You know, you're mm. annoying when you ask why. You're never gonna get a job <laughs> if you ask yeah. why too many times. You've yeah. made a career out of asking why and and yes. searching things. That's because normally.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. So tell me how you got your start.
1: Well, I, I actually, I stopped asking my family because they didn't want to talk to me about these things. They were just, I think for a lot of them, they were painful because they unearthed a lot of trauma. This Mm -hmm. is after World War II, obviously, and people still hadn't processed, but I, I read my way through the, through the city library and um, decided that I really wanted to know more about people and psychology was all about rats and statistics at the time. So I decided to study history and Chinese because okay. when you cross when you study cross cultural history you you learn a lot about people and what's underneath the iceberg of the the cultural iceberg yeah so i did that and ended up studying in china and in the us and all sorts of places and to cut a very long story short you know between being a researcher and a tv producer and an event organizer always the why why are we doing this i ended up being a coach and i accidentally got into that because i got married to a to a lovely man who was a trainer. And he was saying, you need to be in front of people. And I was like, "Mm, no, not really. Not what I'm interested in. I really like being in the background and finding out things. And he said, yeah, but what you find out really helps people. So can you please share that with them? So I went, I'm not quite ready yet. I need to still do some work on myself. Because I've been doing lots of work on myself. And I had worked with people who would say, you've got that issue oh yeah, I resonate. I've got that issue too. And it would be not about supporting me and dealing with it. It would be more a mutual discovery journey. And I have no problems with that, but that's not why I go to somebody. I want to go to somebody who has been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yes. And so I worked on myself until I came and said, okay, I think I'm going to give this a go. So I started out working with people from that topic that I knew really well, which was how to manage stage fright, because that was the thing that had helped me back. And from there, it expanded, and I was able to work with people, and I have been working with people for a very long time, pretty much on any topic that there is. I'm, I'm not sure that there is a topic I haven't worked with people on.
0: That's great. Is it mainly fear? Because I know people are afraid to get up in, in front of people to talk. They're afraid of giving presentations at work because all of your flaws come out and everything like that. Is that what people are struggling with? Is it is it fear?
1: Yeah. People are more afraid of giving public presentations or public speaking than they're afraid of dying. Yeah. It's not that they're afraid of people, that their flaws are coming out in that sense. One of the biggest fears we also have is being judged. Mm-hmm. and when we stand on stage we generally look at ourselves through other people's eyes and so when you when you deal with some, when you help somebody overcome that stage fright and they can show up authentically and they go well i may not be perfect i may mispronounce some words i may i may huddle i may you know i may lose my words whatever it is as long as you feel comfortable about it and you get do you take the audience with it it's not a problem but because we all want to have that sense of competence and autonomy, you know, all of these adults needs, it's very difficult for people to say, you know what, I'm going to take a risk. Yeah. But I think that authenticity
0: where you Mm. do stumble over words, you do kind of catch yourself going, well, that's not exactly what I meant to say. Or I, my mind goes blank all the time. Um, I I think people can, it it does resonate with them. I think it makes them feel a little bit more comfortable, Mm. but they can be themselves. So I think that's great.
1: Yeah. So that's where I started.
0: That's excellent. And so now, who are some of the people you work with? Do you work mainly with uh, companies? Do you work with the executives? Do you work with just ordinary people? Who do you work
1: with? I work with ordinary people. So I've got clients that come to me because I I get most of my work through word of mouth. And so they come and say, you've been able to support my friend. So I would like to work with you as well. So, And I work, again, that's the life coaching part, but I don't Mm -hmm. differentiate between life coaching and corporate coaching. I work with a whole person. And so I do that. And then I also work with organization and I work with organizations from literally two people to 2000 people. Wow. I have, I have worked in, in insurances in banks. I have worked in media. I have worked in manufacturing. I mean, I, I don't know. There's any kind of organization that I haven't worked with. And I love helping people realize that there is more to life than just work, but that when they're happy at work, that the rest of their life transforms as well. Sure. And I'm with you.
0: I, it, it, it's all connected. Mm. I don't think there's that big of a difference between business coaching like I do and uh, life coaching. I think mm. if you're struggling at work communicating, you're probably struggling with communication at home. If you're struggling with building relationships at work. You're probably struggling with relationships at home. So I think everything is connected.
1: I had one client as an example, who um, was signed up for a leadership program. And he said, I don't really need to be here. I have no problems. I mean, my team was working flawlessly. Everything is good. And I said, that's fine. Look, if you don't want to do this, give your program to somebody else because there are other people who didn't get in and they would love to do this. No, 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 I want to do this. And I said, okay, what topic would you like to explore initially? You know, what kind of goal? And he said, well, I have problems communicating with my 16-year-old son. And I said, that's a good topic to have. So we started working on that. And then, of course, that led to other things. And after a few months, um, close to a year, actually, he said, can I bring my wife to the next coaching session? And I said, okay, do I have to anticipate a problem of some sort? And he's like, I don't think so. So she showed up, she looked at me, she burst into tears and I'm standing and going oh my god. Yeah. So she re- runs up gives me a hug and says I just wanted to thank you. Not only does my son have a father who listens, but I have a husband who is actually present. Wow. And and he and she said it's completely transformed our lives. And two weeks later he got um, promoted from regional manager to national manager. Wow. So that you know so these are the stories that are that yeah. that make my work worthwhile. Absolutely, And then I don't, For to me, it doesn't matter. I work with people on factory floor. I work with people on boards, on CEO level. If I can support one person and they have a ripple effect, then I've made a difference or these people have made a difference rather. Absolutely. That's mm.
0: amazing. Yeah. My background is in organizational change management. So mm-hmm. anytime a company was going through some major change, we would be involved with a leadership team to help them understand the impacts of the change and communicate the change and then lead their people through the change. One of the hardest things was getting them to understand that your employees are, they're reluctant to change because they don't trust you. They don't understand why they're doing this or why this is happening. They think it's just another management program and it'll be gone, you know, in a few weeks. Um, How do you get an executive or a manager or leader to slow down enough to think, you know, and, and uh, I guess empathetic, you know, with their employees that this is a challenge for them, you know, that they, they need to be communicated. How do you help them slow
1: down a little bit? I talk to them a lot about how the brain works and, you know, just because we're an adult and we hear something once doesn't mean that we can change it immediately. There seems to be this, this, this attitude that if I tell somebody once it should register and they should be able to transform immediately And I generally say to people, so have you ever learned, have you ever watched a child when it learns how to walk? And it's like, yes, generally people have. And I say, well, so what do you do as an, as an adult, as a parent, as an adult? Well, I cheer them on and I say, well done. And I said, but they fall over. They don't walk. They don't pick up and then start walking. Yeah, but you have to be patient with children. I said, yeah, now imagine you're doing that with adults. You know, you would be standing in front of that child. You would be, imagine you're doing this with a child You would be standing there and you would be saying things like, come on, I've shown you once you surely you should be able to do this again. And by the way, we've got some great books you can read and you Mm -hmm. can talk to some people. And while we're at it, I have registered you for the marathon in two weeks time. So you better get cracking because that's how we teach people, adults. And I can tell you, if, if this is how we were to teach children, we would all be crawling around on all fours. Absolutely. So if if we teach people that the brain needs repetitions and the older we are, the more we need to unwire the connections that exist before we can rewire in new directions. And that takes time and, and getting people to do simple things, you know, and showing them how difficult it is to change simple things, not just complex ones. People really get it. I mean, yeah. try it out. Put your watch on the other wrist. I mean, for people and for people who don't have a watch anymore, stick it in the other uh, pocket, you know, a pen pocket. See how long you keep it on that wrist or in the same pocket, you know, in the new one, because I promise you by the end of the day, 95% of people will have the watch back on their, on the, on the original wrist and back in the other pocket.
0: Cause that's their comfort zone. That's what they're used to. Yeah.
1: Yes. So expecting that somebody will change like that is unreasonable. And again, it's bringing it back to empathy of saying, you know, we're not wired like that. We change very slowly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because people say, well, people hate change. People don't hate change. We change all the time. Things change around us all the time. People don't like to be changed. Yes. They want to understand why is this important? How is it going to impact me? What's my life going to be like afterwards? You know, you get in a comfort zone to where you know exactly what you need to do at work. And now it's all going to change. What's life going to be like? And I think if managers can take time to explain that, that transition
1: is a lot easier. Absolutely. When you tell people the benefits of change, I mean, we are generally first moved by away from something, you know, get away, out, get out of the pain. And we're really good at telling people, you know, these are the disadvantages of you staying in this place. But if somebody is not ready to let that go because they are hidden benefits, you know, there's always a hidden gain. Mm-hmm. Then people don't want to, but if you, if you're saying there's a vision and that's, that's what, what's the ha- the hallmark of great leaders is they, they create a vision and they say, this is what you will have instead. And it's compelling yes. and it's yes. attractive and it fulfills people's needs and values. Then people will start moving towards that. But again, it's not going to be a ready, steady, go. And everybody's off to the races. It's mm-hmm. got to be an adjustment process.
0: Yeah. The away from is an easy move. Right. If I set your chair on fire and said, you need to move, you would move, but you wouldn't run to the next county. Right. You would move far enough away to where you weren't in danger. But now to continue moving, you need some towards goal. And it's getting that vision, that compelling vision to drive people. Like I said, we're changing everything. This system is going down. We're a brand new system come Monday. But then you need to show them how it's going to benefit them, how it's going to improve their lives. So they'll move forward. Yeah.
1: Because if you if you don't if you don't outline what it is you're moving towards and you, you, what you're doing is it's actually supporting depression because the away from goals they are they are the goals that create that kind of what's next and I don't know and the the brain loves nothing more than predictability so if I have an idea where I'm going then I will be able to take some steps towards that but if I'm reluctant to let go of what I know it's the devil I know. Right. No, I'm not going to go there.
0: Right. I heard a, a webinar. Somebody was talking about if I had a, a shoebox with a hole cut in the end. Would you stick your hand in there if I told you to? It's like, well, no, because I don't know what you have inside that. It's it's scary. It's some it's the unknown. I don't want to go there. But if I tell you there's money in there, it's like, oh yeah, easily, right? But it's it's understanding what's what's happening, what's coming at you. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're a member of the International Coaching Federation. You're an NLP trainer, right? And on the registration board, a charter member of the International Positive Psychology Association. And in recognition of your depth of experience, you're a fellow at the Institute for Learning Professionals. You're busy, 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 busy. (laughs) That's great.
1: I am very blessed. I, I get to get up every day and do the work that I love. That's awesome. So
0: I love your website. I've been out looking at your website and I love it. Um, Very functional, very easy to get through. Tell me about some of the things you have, some of the programs you have going on, some of the things you offer.
1: Well, my, my key product is around a concept that I developed over the last 25 years or so, which was, which originates in my search as a teenager. What is there? How can I, how can I become a more functional human being? What are the skills that I need in order to raise functional kids? Now I never had kids for one, for one reason or another, but I still learned the skills. Sure. And so I looked around and I, I asked all of these questions, you know, like, again, why do we deal with conflict the way we do? Um, why do we not feel the feelings? You know, again, the fine. And okay, we can, there are two versions of fine. There is feelings inside not expressed and there's effed up, irrational neurotic emotionally unavailable right yes. so I was always amazed how the people around me were not really feeling their emotions and they couldn't even label them and I couldn't it took me a long time to actually come to a place where I would say you know what I realize I'm actually angry because I wasn't allowed to feel that as a child
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I decided that I was going to create a program that had all of those skills that I wish I had had as a teenager. Again, recognizing your emotions, managing your emotions, being able to listen and manage your attention, having the difficult conversations, setting boundaries. That's a really big one. People do not know how to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, Fulfilling your needs, self-care. So some of these skills, and I created a program out of that. Mm -hmm. And I've got two programs, one for the average person, who wants to develop those skills as a in their personal life? Yes, it will move into the person, the professional one as well. But this is specifically for the personal uh, development from anybody from late teenagers to late teenage years to whatever. And then I have a program that's based on this, and it's a leadership program, and it's all the human skills that I wish I had had leaders embrace when i was working for them because i worked for some terrible leaders yeah. and so this program is all about how do you motivate people again how do you how do you manage your own emotions how do you manage other people's emotions without being responsible for them how do you um how do you provide feedback uncomfortable feedback mm. while still empowering the person and building trust so all of these skills that you need in order to 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 provide an environment in which people thrive without taking the responsibility, because yeah. that's really important to me as well. Absolutely. And the
0: NLP, the neuro-linguistic programming, I think helps a lot with that. One of the things that I learned in, in the training, um, the map is not the territory, Yes, right? My map of my world is mine and it's based on everything that I've learned, experienced, uh, biases, things like that. Your map is totally different because your background is different. Your experiences are different. To be a, a manager and leader, having to have those difficult conversations, a lot of times I will look at a, a person, let's say, and, and wonder, how in the world did you think that that action was acceptable? Well, in their world, it made total sense to them. Yeah. And to stop and think, okay, rather than judging your decision, let's talk about what was the expectation. Mm-hmm. This was the expectation. Yeah. You didn't meet the expectation. Here's what we want in the future. Yeah, but getting them to to stop judging and and everything like that. That's that's got to be a challenge.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you've watched Ted Lasso. Um, Ted no. Lasso has, has this wonderful scene. And and it involves darts. And I can highly recommend anybody who's listening to this and who hasn't watched it, please go. It's it's the best leadership program. Now, they've just started season three, which supposedly is different from the first two. But the first two seasons were brilliant. And Ted Lasso has this contest. And he says one of the fallacies that people or the holes that people fall into is, and he says the the antidote is be, be curious, not judgmental. Place. And that, that has really always been mine. I mean, my curiosity has always come from why do people believe the things they do? Mm-hmm. What gets them to that place? And I also believe that people do the best they can with the resources they've got. Yes. And sometimes yes. these resources are more limited than other, at, at other times, but people will always do what works for them, what fulfills mm-hmm. their needs and their requirements. Does that always work for us? No, but when we find out what's behind it, when we get into conversation with people and find out what mattered to them at that point that doesn't necessarily mean we give them a you know a, a get out of jail card but what we do is, is we can get into more compassion into more empathy mm-hmm. and we can also find help people find a way out of that and maybe supply some information anything like that but it's the we are so good at i, I don't know you're familiar probably with a lot of inference Mm-hmm. You know, how we, how we jump straight to the top of, you know, I'm looking at information, but I know exactly what it means. And therefore I now have a belief and then i act on that belief, but I never look at what I'm actually seeing ever again. I go straight to, but what I think I'm seeing. Right. And so I create a reality that may have nothing to do with what's really going on. And when we change that, when we get into that place of curiosity and we go, I wonder what's really going in here. Mm-hmm. And we take the time to really sit down with somebody. But we don't. The average person listens for nine seconds before they make a suggestion.
0: Well, your mind is already working on the suggestion. Mm. So, yeah, you yeah. stop listening. I work with one of my clients. I was telling him, don't ask why. Why is a judgment question?
1: Mm-hmm. Ask
0: the open ended. Talk to me about that. Explain to me how you came to that decision. You know, what um, you did X, uh, walk me through that process you know, mm-hmm. because then you're not judging. There'll be a little bit more open explaining. And then, like you said, once you see where they're coming from, okay, I, I understand what you were doing. I see where you're headed with that. Let's try it this way next time. And yeah. you can avoid a lot of those those conflicts.
1: Why gives you a justification. When you ask somebody, why did you do that? You literally age regress them to the age of five where a child has to, has to defend itself. And, you know, from the parent, And the parent says, why do you want to go and do that? And the child doesn't have the cognitive ability to actually justify that. They just go because, but if you, if you're saying, if you teach somebody to say what for, what's your intent, what do you want to fulfill? You know, what's your need then? And and you further that kind of thinking, not from an emotional place, but from a, what is important to you right now? That really matters. You can actually find an alternative. And if you're going to a child, why do you want to play outside? It's raining. Well, what do you want to go outside for? I want to play. Okay, is there another place where you can play where it's not raining? Changes the conversation completely, right? Absolutely. But we don't go there. No. There's this whole sense of we need to be right and we need to control and be and and, and convince people that we have the answers. Nice.
0: That's awesome. Okay, that kind of leads us into the whole discussion about courage, right? On the program, we talk about different types of courage, um, intellectual courage the courage oh. to set aside your long held beliefs um, to make room for new knowledge. Cause there's always something new. I think it's hard for some people to say, I don't know, because they mm. want, they want to appear like they're knowledgeable, right? They, nobody wants to be the dumb person in the room. So they don't say, I'm not sure. And I think that's, that's a, a fear that a lot of people have. So we talk about mm. intellectual courage, uh, moral courage, doing what's right. Even if nobody's watching social courage, yeah. saying what needs to be said, even if it's uncomfortable. Um, and where that courage comes from? Where did your courage come from? How were you a courageous kid? Or did you learn that from your parents? Where did that come from?
1: Well, I was a courageous kid until I started high school. Yes. And the the problem was that I was the youngest in my grade. I started okay. school early. And all of a sudden, you know, when you're, when you're nine, and you're, you're in class with 10 and 11 year olds, they don't take you seriously. And I was that that expression didn't exist at the time, but I was being bullied. So I shut up for quite a few years. And then I came to a place where I went, why am I not speaking up? And the funny thing is outside of school, I could do it. But in school, I just stopped. And because my social courage was very much linked to my intellectual courage, because again, I just wanted to know why I decided that it was time to overcome that. Um, But again, I have vacillated between social and, you know, like hiding my social courage behind my intellectual courage until I came to a place where I was just really comfortable with myself. You know, I've done enough work on myself to say, you know what, I love myself, what's and all. Am I perfect? Heck no. Will I ever be perfect? I pray I'm not going to be because that would be so boring. Right. I'm going to be work in progress until the day I die. And I'm fortunately surrounded by people who lovingly tell me when I've screwed up. And so my social courage stems from that. I just didn't fit in. And I just came to a place where I accepted that. And my intellectual courage came from a place of, I read. I mean, I started reading at the age of five and I worked my way through the city library. I mean, literally, like I read that those were my friends. yeah. And and I read books that were very age inappropriate, but nobody knew how to stop me. So <laughs> I read Charles Bukowski at the age of 11 couldn't mm. make head or tails of it, but, you know, it was interesting.
0: Sure.
1: <laughs> and, and so I've always wondered why we had to do the things we did. You know, like I grew up near Neanderthal where we found the first caveman. Uh-huh. And so I was like, do we still have to do the way they did things? You know, clubber somebody over the head and ask questions later. Mm-hmm. No, it was all about there's got to be another way of doing this. If we want to evolve, there's got to be a different way. So human evolution has been has been really at the forefront of what I'm doing. Like, I don't get why we do things that, that create unhappiness when there are so many different ways of doing it differently.
0: And usually it's easier to not oh. create the unhappiness and all the, the things. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But you
1: have to get into that courage of, you know, people may not like me. Right. People may say, well, why are you doing it this way? You know, it's like... I mean, I can always think of the of the Wright brothers, where the fa- father was standing in the pulpit on Sundays in church and saying, if God had wanted us to fly, he would have given us wings. They had to overcome quite a few belief systems in order to do what they did. Um, but if you, if you stick with it and you say, I can run the five-minute mile and my heart will not explode like Roger Bannister, mm-hmm. and you do it, all of a sudden people all around the world can do it. Exactly, and I find that hugely expi- inspiring. Which is why I insist on being curious.
0: Exactly. Yeah. The minute he broke that record, everybody started breaking the record. Yeah. Because up until then, they thought it was impossible.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. So the people you work with and, and help them, what type of courage you think they're they're missing? Is it the intellectual type courage? Is it resilience? What is it they're they're dealing with?
1: Um. I think it's um it's 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 hard to summarize that into one one archetype. A lot of people have are missing the the social courage. They just want to fit in. You know, I have to do things a certain way. I can't. I this is how the company is being run. This is how people have to be managed. Um, this is how my life is. I mean, I work with people who literally, you know, they have the five bedroom house. They've got the kids in private school. They've got the two, the two cars. They go on holidays two three times a year. They don't see their wives and their husbands. They don't see their kids, but they feel that that's the way they have to do it in order to keep up with the Joneses. They're supremely unhappy. I, I have clients cry in my in-sessions all the time because they're just so overwhelmed. And when I say, do you really have to do it this way? Do you really need to have all of those trimmings of you know, success? And they go, yeah, but everybody does. And I go, yeah, but I do you have to be one of those? Does this create happiness for you? Does it create fulfillment? Because if it doesn't, why do it? And the same thing goes with, but this is how we've been treating people all along. No, we haven't. You know, there have always been outliers who treated people differently and people who empowered people to be the best that they could be, who incredible results, who created leaders that would take their work to the next level and beyond. So we don't have to follow in, in people's footsteps just because that's how it's being done. So I'm always encouraging people to say, you know, there's no leadership model. You create your own. Mm -hmm. The only thing is, I've got two tenants. Make yourself um, irrelevant, sorry, irrelevant, but not not indispensable. And your job as a leader is to create new leaders. And I don't care whether you work with one person or with 1,000, or whether you lead yourself. So you are an example to your to the people around you. So, Excellent. do what you need to do in order to be fulfilled and productive and make a difference.
0: Yeah, yeah our job as leaders is to create more leaders, not more followers. We no. have enough followers as it is.
1: <laughs> so, talk about followers who don't stand up. Sure, you know, who perpetuate the system. Yeah. Well, and that's
0: if I was going through the 10 icebreaker questions, you know, the, the one term that I hate is this is the way we've always done it. Oh, yes. As a justification for not changing, not looking at new things, not, a, you know, experience. This is the way mm-hmm. we've always done it.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you that's should right. know that I'm also an Edward De Bono trainer. So okay. I have done, gotten not so many um, re- uh, creative thinking sessions, strategic planning sessions, and it's always been, yeah, but that's how, and it's like, no, no. Let's have a look. And alternatives don't come when you've got two options. They show up if you've got at least three or four or five. And, but people don't want to. They're, it's because it feels uncomfortable. The brain doesn't like change. So we're just going to go with the old and tried. But that's how we create the same thing over and over again. And again, we know that's a sure sign of insanity. And looking around the world.
0: Hmm. But there's a lot of insanity.
1: <laughs>
0: Absolutely. So with leaders, what do you look for in a leader?
1: The first thing I look for is self-awareness. It's very hard to work with somebody who is always looking on the outside when people come and say, well, you work with my people, but leave me alone. So if I work with a, with a leader who says, you know what, let's start with me and, you know, let's have a look at where this goes and who is willing to get out of the comfort zone. I also like working with people who have empathy, again, who see the human being behind the, the person so they're not managing people like tasks, but they see that it's this is about promoting human potential and, and, again, getting people to be in a place where they can contribute fullheartedly and not just presence at work and do the needed things the way we've always done them, but who challenge and say there's a better way and who, who support the process of getting better, getting, you know, all of that. So this would definitely be the process and people who can admit that they're not perfect. You know, who can sit and say, you know what, I've just screwed up. Yeah. Is, that a, is that a word I'm allowed to say?
0: Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Especially when we're talking about some leaders. Absolutely. Um, so in your practice, are you a solo practitioner or do you have people that work with you?
1: I have, I've, I sometimes work with other people. So, you know, I call somebody in or they call me in, but I often work alone. And I work with HR teams, you know, or with... With the with the um the the executive team, it depends. I mean, every project is different, sure. as you
0: would know. So absolutely. So if I was to bump into any of the people that you work with mm-hmm. through your career and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you?
1: Um, I'm the kind of leader who says, okay, let's let's look at what um what works, where do you want to grow and what, where, where can I let you go? But where do, where do you want some support? I love the situation leadership model. Yes. You know, yes. that's, I, I don't use a lot of models, but that's the one I really learned. So that really love. So is it important to you that I hold your hand for a little while until I let go? But if that's the case, then let's start off with people with, with some skills where you're already feeling somewhat competent, let's build your self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And then my goal is for you to have autonomy and, and um, competence And so the people I've worked with will tell you that I let them do what they need to do without micromanaging, that I'm, that I always want to hear their ideas and that I'm there to support them, not just as in in executing their tasks, but also as human beings, that mental health is absolutely crucial for me. So if somebody has an issue and is struggling, you take a mental health day. So, um, and again, that people have told me that uh, my staff have told me that, because I've had several jobs where I'm actually managed people myself, that, they're, that they learn to be, that they learn to trust themselves and take risks. And that I was always there to support them in that and remove myself. So nice.
0: that's, that's for me, that's the mark of a leader. You set the, the goal, the vision, you mm-hmm. hire somebody because of their skills. You say, that's the goal we're after. Let them go, mm-hmm. support them, coach yeah. them. And like you said, if you're not, replaceable. You're not promotable.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Like I said, make yourself irrelevant, yeah. right? Or absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Mm. That's awesome. Angela, this has been great. Thank you so much for, for being a guest. If people want to learn more about you and the programs that you offer and everything like that, how can they do that? What's your website?
1: My website is my name, Angela Heise, dot com. Oh. Very simple.
0: <laughs> Perfect. And the programs, they're available for anybody. They can find those on your website.
1: Yes, they can. And I would love to have whoever is interested. I would love to have a conversation with them so people can book in for a little exploration session or a longer one, depending, and find out a program that really works for them because I don't believe in the one size fits all. Okay. And it's always important that that we create something that, that supports people in getting what they want.
0: Excellent. Very cool. All right. And you're active on LinkedIn too, correct? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will make sure the link to your website and link to your LinkedIn profile are all in the show notes uh, so people know how to get in touch with you. And again, thank you so much for being on the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me. That was a really thought-provoking conversation, and I love that I'm going to be able to continue thinking about it. Thank oh, you absolutely. Hard.
0: And I'll have you back on the program because I love this conversation. We could go deep, deep into NLP. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. neuro-linguistic programming. So, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm that be great. All right, listeners. Hope you guys were taking a lot of notes. A lot of good information here. Definitely, definitely, find your courage. Find your courage and admit that you don't know everything and that you're a little afraid of things. And take a chance. Get out there. Try one of those. Um, what it, What would we call it? The uh, ins- not the inspirational. The uh, improvisational theater. Yes. Right in the theater sports. Learn how to get up there. i I know other people that have gotten up and done um, uh, stand up comedy. Course, mm-hmm. just to be comfortable yeah and and it's it's amazing you know how they got through it so yeah I'm, I'm a big proponent of that so definitely listeners hope you were taking notes share this episode with your family friends colleagues make sure you subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode drops and uh that's it for me until next time coach harlan saying so long for now